Hello, everyone. Thanks for coming outside me today. Today, we're talking with Kennedy from the great state of Mississippi. I'm very excited to have this conversation with him today, the youngest member of the Average Jack Archery podcast so far. And before we get to Kennedy, though, real quick, if you want to find yourself on the Average Jack Archery podcast, please send me an email, averagejackarchery at gmail.com. Find me on Facebook, find me on Instagram, and yes, you can always leave a comment on YouTube. But today's episode is not about you. It's about Kennedy. And thanks so much, bud, for being on the podcast today, man. Thanks for having me. I am stoked. We're going to have a blast today. This is cool. It's nice to like, like as I, we talked a little bit off, off air, demographically, the people that watch my stuff are significantly older than I am. So, I mean, you're significantly younger, but you're more in my wheelhouse there. As I said, you're my first students at my school that I right. currently work at are your age now. So that's cool. You know, it's, it's relatable. But for the folks that are real quick, kind of uh, give a little background where roughly geographically you are uh, in Mississippi, how long you've been hunting just in general, uh, how long you've been bow hunting, and, and we'll launch in from there. Okay, so I'm from southeast Mississippi. I'm about two hours from the coast on the far right side of the state. Um, I've been hunting most of my life since I was about five years old. I'm 17 now, so that's 12 years, and just with family and everything, but not everyone in my family bow hunts, so that was kind of new because my, my cousin does it, but he's kind of, you know, He's got his own family and own things, so that wasn't something I really got to experience and learn from him. So I've been listening to people like Nate and been learning, and I've getting, gotten really fired up about it in these past two years, probably. And I've, you know, I've, I've attempted it, but I've never been really serious about it, I haven't prepared for it the right way, I haven't put the stands up in the right place, you know, planted the right stuff, all that, and... Uh, but yeah, I've been doing it a while, but this year I'm planning to really double down on it and really make an attempt to take a deer. Well, I have to ask this because we didn't talk about this off air, but real quick, like, so for you, was it a, I want to enjoy the sport of archery and that led into archery hunting? Or was it like, I want to pick up a bow and shoot a whitetail with it? It, it was the, it was the love of archery. Cause okay. I, and, and this, this may sound, this may offend some people but I would rather shoot a bow than I would a gun. And I love both, but, and I've all, I've, of course, I've taken deer with a rifle. You're in good company for Or something like that, but I like to hear the twang rather than the bang. Right, right. It makes any sense. No, and I, so, I completely agree with you. And you'll get to a point, you know, this is, we'll get to this in a moment here. This is your first shoot season bow hunting. You'll get to a point where you're, when you're at, at my stage of the addiction with archery and you won't even take it, you'll just take the bow out into gun season you won't even take a firearm out anymore not because you're a purist but just because you just enjoy the pursuit right. with the bow more i couldn't care less i i, I got guns right here on the wall behind me that i will happily take out in deer season yeah but gosh i just i just like carrying a bow you know i just like carrying it i think you'll eventually end up there the, at the rate you're obsessed yeah. with the sport but i let's so let's another tangent question here so you wanted to shoot the bow which is interesting so when it came to the hunting, though, if you were like, gosh, you know, maybe I, I don't end up being as accurate as I wanted to be or I'm not going to progressing as quickly enough, did the thought of using a crossbow in archery season so you could avoid or did you never know? Just that, never that, ne that never crossed my mind. Uh, it, it, it's not that I view it as unethical or anything, you know, because it's, no, it's really faster than a normal bow. But why don't I just take a gun <laughs> at that point? Right. It's, I mean, it, you're shooting a about a hundred feet per second faster than you would with a vertical bow. So, you know, what's the point? Yeah. 
Are crossbows, though, in Mississippi relatively common with the youth to be able to use them in archery season, at least to your knowledge? Um, they, I mean, we can use them. Yeah. I mean, but honestly, at least from my school, you know, just local, I, I see a lot more people using vertical bows as opposed to crossbows. Interesting. I don't know why that is. I mean, it's just the way it is. <laughs> huh. Now, is your – so let's let's dive into the – you know, your school and how you got into the archery thing. So you got into archery, like we just said, to go bow hunt, right? Or rather to shoot archery and that just led to right. bow hunting. So you actually cut your teeth at NAS, the National, Arch the National Archery in the Schools program, which for the folks at home who might not know, it literally is bringing archery into the schools, uh, elementary, high school, and, and so on. Uh, and it allows kids the ability to use, it's, it's the same generic bow. It's a uh, Matthews Genesis single cam bow. They all shoot the same arrows at the same target face, certain distance. It's all fingers, no sights, no peep, that sort of stuff. It's all instinctive, and it really levels the playing field, and you just basically shoot by age. And if you're unfamiliar with the, the Matthews Genesis bow, it's a very light poundage, you know, 20, I think 30 pounds, mm -hmm. maybe 35. 20-pound max. max. Okay, 20-pound max. And uh, little, little aluminum arrows with glue and points and, yeah. little, and little veins. Um, and, uh, like I said, you have to shoot with figures, but that, that, uh, Genesis is not drawing specific. It just keeps drawing right. and drawing and drawing. It's almost like a, like a recurve or a longbow where it just kind of keeps drawing. Now the poundage doesn't get any higher, but you just keeps drawing and drawing, and drawing. I actually loved shooting those. I didn't have NAS growing up, but you mm -hmm. do in your area. Is it a recent addition though to your area or has it always kind of been there? It, it started about five years ago um, okay. among us, uh, my school out of our little school district, our school was the first to get it, and uh, then another, the next school got it about a year or two later, and then the one school just got it last year. Okay. So, I mean, it, it's, been a, it's been a slow progression, but it is, I mean, studies were done, I guess, and it is the number one growing state or sport in Mississippi. So, I mean, oh, really? It, it, that, that's a very positive thing to see. Okay. Now, is that... Do you think because of the NASP or do you think it's just because you guys can go outside a lot, many more months out of the year, you guys can go out and practice than me, right? I can practice like four or five, six months out of the year and then it's flipping cold, but you guys yeah. can be out like eight, nine months out of the year. Do you think oh, it's a NASP thing or it's just kind of like you guys have a lot of free time on your hands? A lot of people did it simply because it was a bow and arrow at school, you know, you know, weapon or whatever you know? yeah right it, the novelty you know, of it yeah I, I guess and you know a lot of people don't they're, they're not as geeky or I'm, I'm i'm a geek about it so it's like if i see you shoot it you know know what you're doing with your grip and all that you know don't, don't grasp the bow you know just right. hold it but you know things like that but a lot of people just shoot it for fun and I, you know they they commit to the team and they show up every match you know and they may not do it next year but at least i like to see them commit to it and it's it's very disciplined you know, of course, because there's been no accidents so far. Right. I, I don't believe in our state, at least. And I mean, that's safer than football, soccer, you know, everything else that could cause a physical in, in, injury. So far, we've had pretty good luck with the safety measures that have been taken. It's probably just because I, I guess it is the, the introduction of NASP into things. And I mean, I've, and, but I've seen that branch off to, into people buying bows you know, other bows to go hunting with or just shoot target with, you know, because I've got a friend that um, he was the best shooter in our, um, on our team. And he graduated last year. And, you know, that got him into not so much 
he liked the way the hunting bows looked, but he was so focused on the target bows, you know, because he was so good. You know, he, he had shot like a 292, 293, 294 out of a 300. Mass, you know, which so, is, right. it's not so easy. That That's like really, really, really good. That's that's extremely hard to do. And he was just so focused on the target bows that, I, you know, whereas I was, they branched off into hunting, he branched off into target archery. And I thought that was amazing. So, and I, but I've seen that so many times over. Right. And so next year is your last year in that. Right. So do you feel though, that in just the short time that you started in, in just the five years that like your school and just maybe just in general, the state of Mississippi, like you're kind of catching it at like a really good time. Or do you think it still has like so much more growth and so much more explosion? Like in the terms of number of kids in your school that would attend, for example, well, it's grown every year. Okay. It's grown at least 10 to 20 people per year. Like 50, we had 50 people on the team last year. Wow. Yeah. Holy so, mackerel. I mean, and, and a, you know, our, our, we ha- I think we had the lowest population in our district, and we only have about 1,000 kids or people on our, on our campus. So, I mean, that, that was a pretty good number, you know, and, of course, that's, that's a bus full. I mean, right. <laughs> so, right. you know, of course, there were, the, you know, there were people that were cut or, you know, or something like that. But we had – around 47 people on the team okay at the end of the year and are you guys so for the folks at home who don't understand on nasbergs mostly it's just getting you're it's not like you go to it's not like a football team where you go and compete right you're going to more of these tournaments or were you guys going to a particular school to compete against them head oh, yeah. to head one oh, yeah. oh you we, guys we were had, doing we that one ones one-on-ones all the time okay cool <laughs> but, okay but that that was kind of at least with our district that's kind of how it had to be we had a private school get involved in um that they're really involved in it. Their, their coach is a good friend of mine and he, he, he's one of the best shooters in the state. I think he won shooter of the year, maybe one or two years ago, athlete of the year presented by the governor, all that stuff. And, you know, and he, he's just really big into it. And uh, we, all the time it was us and them, you know, they would invite us, we would invite them. And it makes money for us because, you know, the, the sports like football and baseball, at least in our case, they kind of, the, the money, the, money you give for a ticket into our events most of it ends up going back to those bigger teams so concessions and just pure attendance helps us right you know rather than just you know people not every ticket you know gets to us i guess is the way to put it correct and is for for you guys are you doing all indoor or is there some outdoor as well it's all so so far it's been i mean we'll practice sometime outside if it's nice or something you know the, the first few years before we, we could work it out where we could use the gym at school, we practiced outside, but it was constant, you know, take the targets down, put the nets up, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, right. Sure. But uh, it's definitely involved and we've become more efficient in it as time went on, especially to, like the state, the state events have gone smoother and everything like that. Instead of being behind, a lot of times they're ahead. So it's okay. recommended, you know, the, the team would get there early because they, you know, these are the people running it are people that, you know, they do the 3D competitions and all that throughout the state. So they, they're on this, you know. So. And a lot of the NAS, at least, at least it does here in, in PA, it'll offer, it'll offer kids like scholarships, like college oh, yeah. scholarships, right? Which is, I mean, it's not like they're giving you a full ride to Stanford. Right, 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 but right. I mean, every little bit in this, it, with how expensive college exactly, is, exactly. it incredibly helps. Right. Um, the only thing with that is not all of our, not all of our colleges offer that. And, but like you said, I think there's like one 
like really close to us that will actually give you a scholarship sure for it and you know and it's going to be like fifteen hundred dollars five hundred i mean that's still money yeah but you know if you don't really want to go to that i mean i think I, it's a pretty expensive school just so if, you, if you're not really striving to go there you know it kind of just fades out <laughs> right right and so i have to then ask you know as a kind of a, a segue here so you're graduating You've been shooting the NASBOs for a while. I want to talk about your current hunting bow setup now, because you're going to okay. be, you know, you'll be leaving the, yeah. the realm of Genesis, if you will, and going into, into the big kid stuff. But to an extent, though, you're still staying at more mild draw weight, right? And right. more mild draw length. It's not like you got, you're not like me, 31 inches, you know, could be doing Cam Haynes, 80 pounds, yeah. all that type of crazy stuff. You're still keeping it relatively mild. So go ahead for the folks at home. Um, uh, uh, break down your uh, your bow setup. You know what bow you're shooting, what your current draw length and draw weight is, and your and your current arrow build. Because I think there's a lot of things for young archers and new archers and ladies who are getting mm -hmm. into the sport and they're shooting a lighter arrow in general. They're shooting a lighter poundage, shorter draw length, or whatever. Right. I think there's a lot to be gained here. So break that down for folks at home if you would. So I shoot a Bowtech Realm SR6 set at 52 pounds and a 29 inch draw. You know, that, that's, I guess, the, I guess you could consider that mild or average, you would say. Right, you know, 29, not, 28 and a half, 29 right. is very average, yeah. Right. And uh, I shoot a Black Eagle Carnivore arrow or a Black Eagle Outlaw, whichever, you know, whichever is available at the time, you know, or however many I have to go shoot at a shoot or something. I'll probably hunt with the carnivores, and that balances out with a 100-grain 100, 100 field tip or broadhead to about 362 grains or so. And uh, I'm shooting an NAP Thunderhead, and that was a gift. So I'm, I, I haven't, I've never bought my own broadheads, but I, I've, I've heard that they're they're pretty decent. So I figured I, I would give them a shot there. Of course, fixed blade. Um, do you want me to go into like the actual gear on my bow, or yeah, if you want to, yeah, well, go for it. <laughs> I shoot a Spot Hog Grinder sight, um, and a just the Bowtech partnered with Ripcord to make the Botech Max Arrow Wrist sure. or whatever, yeah, yeah, and I yeah. shoot that on there. But I want—I kind of want to give a shout out to Cutter Stabilizers. They're a local company. I don't know if you've heard of them. Yeah, uh, Brandon McDonald did like right, a video right, with right. them. Okay, so that's local to you guys. That's where I heard. No, 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 no. Well, that's where I heard about it. I heard about Brandon McDonald doing it. Oh, you know, okay, he, okay. His, his video got me into them, and I checked them out because I needed a new stabilizer. I've been running the little five-inch octane that came with my diamond infrared. Right, right, right. But uh. They, they have amazing customer service and the, the, the product quality is amazing. And they, they're, they just were a really, a really good investment, I would say. So are you running a front, did you get like a front and back bar from them or is it just like no, a front I, bar I did, setup? I, I, just because of the money strain, I guess it, on it just a little bit, the, I, I haven't got the side bar yet or the yeah. back bar. So. Well, it's not necessary. I just had to ask because right. one thing, one thing that I have never, I never worried about a back bar until this year. Like I've always like these people shooting yeah. a back bar. You got, I remember vividly years ago, probably about four five, six, seven years ago, Levi Morgan did a video where he's like, yeah, if you're not shooting a back bar and you're hunting bow, you're just, you're just an idiot. And I remember watching that video going like, who the heck does this guy think he <laughs> is? This national, you know, 12 time shooter of the year, all yeah. this stuff. Who's thinking he's telling me. And then this year, I, I got the CBE torque set. I put that sidebar back bar on. And I mean, literally the bow just hung like a plumb bob. And I was like, right. oh, this is what he's talking about. I was just going to say, like, so I'd shot 
with just the front stabilizer and been totally fine. But adding that right. just added an extra level of stability. I didn't know it existed for me, which was right. very interesting. And I run a lot of heavy stuff. I got, I like to run heavier sites, you know, really well built, you know, big things like this, you know, CBE. Um, I like to run Hamsky rests. I love those things. And those suckers are tanks. So that's a lot of weight when you get a quiver on there and all that sort of stuff. So that offset stabilization right. is just, is just super important. And, and I never thought I'd run on a hunting bow, definitely on a target bow, you know, particularly when you get a longer mm -hmm. axle to axle, but on my target bow here, I'm, I'm actually staring at the cure. Like it, it makes a world of difference in terms of just how little extra effort I have to put in to make right. sure it's level and stable. It's just something and, different. And I've definitely noticed it. I mean, nothing against spot hog. I love my site, but I mean, they're, they're built, they're built heavy, you know, and I can definitely feel, you know, I, I do have to, you know, reset my grip or something to make sure my bubble, you know, is level. And I, I could definitely see where that, where that would come in handy. Yeah, it's an absolute tank. So you're shooting cutter stabs, you're shooting spot hog, all that sort of stuff. Um, and for me, I always joke with people, and I'm, I'm hoping you make the same thing. A quiver is a quiver, a quiver. You didn't go out and, like, spend $300 on a quiver. Please tell me you didn't spend $300 Half of that. on a quiver. <laughs> all right, okay. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I did buy the, um, the tight spot quiver simply yeah. because, and this is simply because I'm a very – I don't want like a fused stabilizer on my Bowtech bow. I'm that I don't want to mix brands too bad. And Tight Spot is owned or is in affiliation with Bowtech. Okay, that yeah, was yeah. kind of that was kind of my reason there. And people are gonna think I'm crazy for spending extra money because of that. Well, <laughs> you'd be amazed the guys you know, and I think of Matthews in particular because they're probably probably the most famous for it. Like they have their specific quiver, they have their specific right. stabilizer. And Elite did it too for quite some time. I don't I don't think they're doing it much anymore. But the, and you'd be the guys that come in are like, nope, I have to have it this color, this color, this color, <laughs> and everything must be exactly Matthews or exactly Elite if it was the older models. Right. And, you know, Hoyt has to be all fused. It's totally normal. Like, it's the only thing. And I will say, though, like, I would never buy it, but my good buddy Nate from the Budget Sportsman has a tight spot quiver. And I will say that is by far the best quiver that's out there. Like, I've, you know, the quiverizer, yeah. stabilizer thing, that looks pretty slick. But that tight spot, it's just so flash, uh, flush. Is it? Is it a, only a four or a six arrow? Or mine's a five. Okay, or whatever. Okay, so do you do you pack it to the nines? Though this is my next question. Do you pack that sucker to the nines, all five, when you're in the woods? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. And <laughs> and I and I um I, I do, but I like I had a tournament Saturday this past Saturday, and uh, I took it off. I found it really, you know, hunting it's great, you know. But, I mean, even for our hunting, you know, you go sit in a stand or something. So, I mean, you're going to take it off just for the, the weight effect of it. But I found it out at that tournament. I don't need to carry that to a tournament. No. Because I'm at a 3D tournament because I'm constantly setting it down or reloading arrows. You know, you know that kind of stuff. And I have, you know, the, the waist or the shoulder, shoulder quiver. And that's there, so yeah. much easier rather than the, the – Pulling uh, it in and out, yeah, in and out, yeah. in and out. Oh, yeah, no, it's just brutal. So – Let's unpack the bow set up here. So you're shooting SR6 though, which is it's just not a slow bow. Like it's, it's already a low, fast bow, right? It's a pretty quick bow. So even shooting to 52 pounds, you're still generating some pretty decent I'm, speeds. <laughs> it's it's 280, but I mean, but I still, mean, I, I, I mean, I guess that's pretty good. I mean, granted, you're shooting a, a relatively light arrow there in the 360s, but you know, compared to your poundage, though, you know, if you th if you assume five grains per pound of draw weight. Uh, you know, a 250 grain arrow is technically against right. your, right, for your IVO specs, right? So you're shooting well over 100 grains for your IVO specs, which is, which is nice. 
But I have to ask here, so is that arrow – I'm unfamiliar with, with the Black Eagle line. So you're saying you're shooting the carnivore. Is that a, a smaller diameter arrow or is it just no, real I mean, light? It's pretty standard. I mean, okay. I guess it's the standard, you know – 244, 245, 246 yeah, it, or whatever. Yeah, it's the standard hunting size, you know, okay. that hunting okay. arrow. Is it just such a light GPI? Is that where it comes down to, like, why yeah, that arrow is so and light? And what's funny is that they're about $70 a box for six, whereas the, the Outlaws, I shot them in a recent tournament because we couldn't order the carnivores because they were out of them. And uh, they're only $45 for a pack of six, but they're heavier. Yes. Which I, which I didn't really understand, I guess, but, I mean – I guess if you're going to be hunting out west and you need that extra speed, you know that I don't really know why they're they're more expensive. But sometimes, and I don't, I'm not an arrow manufacturer nor an engineer, so I'm not going to claim I actually know. But for example, <laughs> golf shafts, right? In order to make a golf shaft flex under that high right and that high collision, hundreds and hundreds, thousands, thousands of times, that golf shaft of a high modulus carbon is very different than a shaft of carbon that has to do a much, you know, it only gets flexed once or twice and only impacts straight on instead of, you know, cranking off at an angle. So for example, like Easton uh, makes their bloodline, which is a, a little bit smaller diameter. It's like a two, three, three. So it's like in between five mil and six mil. And it's like 7.4 grains per inch. Like it's real light for a 400 spine air where most are well into the eights. And, but it's more expensive but it's just as durable somehow as the normal diameter size. I don't know how it works. I have to assume that there's some sort of carbon, higher priced carbon right. technology that goes into building it. So it's lighter, thinner, yet still strong. No idea how that works. <laughs> I'm not going to claim I'm yeah. a technician of that. But I guess the question here then is why the Black Eagle, and you know that 360 is on the light side, you right. could have pushed up to say, because I'm assuming you're shooting a 400 spine arrow. No, 350. Oh, you are shooting a 350. Okay, so yeah. it's still pretty light, 350. So you could have bumped up and gone way stiff with like a 300 and boost your overall weight. But you seem, and I'm not, I have no problems when you shoot 362 grains. But you seem very confident in that. Was that something that you still were like, oh, am I gonna be too light? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I've I've worried about it, but um, that friend of mine that coach that um he's he's pretty dang good in our state at least yeah. um and uh he's he's sponsored by Botech and all this and you know he he's he's done well for himself in the archery the sport of archery and that's what he's shot i mean his, his setup this year is 350 carnivores with a 100 grain broadhead and a revolt i mean a revolt set at 60 pounds yeah i mean and it's shooting 303 feet per second Right. And, you know, and I, I know he's killed big deer, you know, I, I mean, not that the size matters, but I mean, I know he's put them down easily and quickly. And just from his experience, I, I learned, you know, I trust that, right. I guess, is a way to put it. Well, I'm assuming, you know, you're, you know, you're a young guy, you watch the YouTube people, you've watched Catman, I'm guessing, Catman Outdoors. Jonathan no, actually you've never watched Catman no actually oh my <laughs> gosh you gotta go watch Catman Jonathan Baum is one of the best deer killers in all of Tennessee guys a freaking slayer um <laughs> well Catman Jonathan he the reason why I brought him up is that he shot NAP Thunderheads mm -hmm. screwed onto a Eastern Bloodline out of an ancient PSC single cam with a whisker biscuit <laughs> and he was blowing through animals 
in Tennessee. Really? Like they weren't even standing there. Yeah. The arrow could not have weighed more than 380 grains. There's no way it did. No way. I know how much bloodlines weighed. I shot them for years or at least a two years there. Uh, and a standard hundred grain NAP Thunderhead and he, a whisker biscuit and an ancient single cam slow as molasses PSE. And he <laughs> yeah. was blasting through animals. And oh. I remember watching that going, huh? That seems like he knows what he's doing, you know, or at least, you know, and then I remember uh, the past two years watching Ted from the hunting public. Right. He goes in, he gets a single cambo set up. So it's real slow. That sucker's like 308 IBO. It's not fast. He's shooting a standard 400 spine victory. So he's pushing like 415, 420 grains a second and a three blade muzzy. He's going straight back to the 1990s. And he was <laughs> blowing through deer in Missouri, in Michigan, in Iowa, in Kansas, Nebraska. I mean, every deer he shot at, he was cruising through. And that arrow was sub 425 grain. Yeah. Hmm. And so my biggest thing when it comes to this and the whole arrow weight thing, because my wife is, again, this is to tie into the ladies, but my wife can't shoot that heavy of an arrow. You know, she's shooting like 35 right. pounds, 25 inch draw. If I stuck a 450 grain arrow on that thing, it, the deer would have time to make a sandwich and eat it by the time it <laughs> got there, right? Yeah. And so... My biggest thing is perfect arrow flight, razor sharp broadhead, keep right. your shots close. Those are that's it. That's it. And and fixed blade broadhead, preferably cut on contact fixed blade. You're not shooting mechanical with that late no. and expecting great results. Now, some no. people do. I'm guaranteed if people listen to the podcast right now, they're going, Well, I shoot the 350. Okay, whatever. Great. But <laughs> when you're shooting sub 400 or sub 425, you put on a good, sharp fixed blade broadhead. And you keep your shots under 30 yards, you're blasting. You're just gonna blast through things. And particularly with that bow that you're shooting, that SR6, or any modern compound. Like I said, Catman was doing with the bow from 2000, probably 2003, and he was doing it. And if he can do it, then you guys can do it. I, you have to watch Catman. You have to go back. He kills, there's a video he has, it has over a million views. Uh, he killed like three does out of the stand with this, with this setup in one evening. It's a great video. Uh, oh, wow. and he's a young guy. He's probably only 21, 22, something like that. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's an awesome guy to watch. He's probably the most even keeled dude on YouTube I've ever seen. Like really? he'll shoot. Oh yeah. He'll shoot a 10 point and be like, well, that was exciting. I <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm on my couch. My heart's racing. I'm breathing hard. Yeah. I'm just watching it on TV, you know, or I'm on my YouTube, you know? And, and, uh, yeah, he's probably one of the most even keeled. And the guy is a stone cold killer. I mean, he probably kill. He donates a lot. Uh, right. He probably he probably kills uh, on average somewhere between six to ten deer a year out of Tennessee. Um, so mm -hmm. he he really knows what he's doing. Um, but anyhow, so you're you know this lightweight setup and everything. Did you do some serious tuning to get this good arrow flight to get your fixed blades and all that sort of stuff yet? Or are you still kind of tinkering with that? Honestly, honestly, it, it flew straight mainly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I guess that's, uh, I guess that's somewhat uncommon, but it, it, they've, they've flown straight. I've shot them on other arrows and they've done the same thing. So, I mean, I haven't had this bow. I've had it since February and it's, you know, September now. I mean, that's a few, that's plenty of time to get used to it, but I, I'm still, if anything, I'm, I'm getting used to the bow rather than all the other things, you know, because the, the coach, I call him, yeah. that, uh, my good friend, he, he's, he's just, I mean, he's won so many times and, and he works on Bowtex, you know, he knows them well. 
So, I mean, it takes him five minutes, and I'm like, did you do that? Yeah. He pulls it back, shoots it through paper, and it's like, you know, clean, and it's like, hmm, really? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really blessed to have him just and his expertise. And, I mean, it, it's not every day that you have a guy that's seven minutes from your house that has won so much and is so efficient with a bow. But Correct. Yeah. And I, I, I really brag do, on him for that. Yeah. Well, and I do think that he's got you in a good spot. I really do. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. My, I have a very uh, close cousin of mine, you know, makes it sound like we're, he's, he's in it well into his forties. Um, and he also shoots for Bojek. He actually won uh, at least one, if not two legs of the IBOs and hunter class this year for 3d really? up here in Pennsylvania. Yeah. He's a real good hunter class pin shooter here. I also, also a Bojek guy. And he shoots a gold tip 22 series, a target arrow, right? Gold tip 22 series, hmm. standard insert and 125 grain rocket steel head. And he blasts through deer from <laughs> Maryland to Ohio to Pennsylvania to New York. And he swears by it, you know, and I, he's killed probably more deer than I've seen, you know, on the oh, hook wow. in the wood, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, and so I, you know, when he says that that's what works, I have to respect that. You know, I don't, I don't believe in that, right? I don't believe in that kind of like more less moderate way with mechanical. I'd rank a little like 450, but I cheat because I'm so big. You know, I have to have a little bit heavier, right. just the spine and everything. But, you know, but still, like I can't like diss what he's doing because he's just, he's, he's, he's won awards and he's killed a lot of deer. <laughs> you can't, it's hard to argue with that guy, you know? And uh, I'm glad that you have that because that's something that I think a lot more people wish they had that, that mentor, yeah. or that person it's nice to be able to reach out to somebody like me on YouTube and ask questions, but having that person literally in your hip right, pocket right. a few minutes up the road. And, and, and it's not, a, it's not a, it's not like he runs a full-time shop. So, I mean, it, it's beside his house, you know, and, and it's, I heard, you know, I was listening to you on one of your podcasts about the bow shop, you know, and it, you, you know, you just wish you could spend time with those people. And, and this is what he does. I mean, it, I am really truly blessed to have him and be able to do that with him. Right. I mean, I'm sitting right now in my basement bow shop and I wish that there have been customers that came in, you know, young guys that yourself or dads that their daughter, I had a, girl, a dad with his, with his daughter come in a few weeks ago. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, I wish I could just take you back to my basement shop and just for like three hours right. just work on form. Like, I just wish that was a thing. And I do, I had a, I had today, I had a, a good buddy of mine, a local business owner, um, uh, his daughter um, I had in school. And he's like, Hey, can you just have her look at your form? I was like, yeah, man, bring her over. And so like, they were over here for like almost an hour. I was just working right. with her form and getting her anchor point and everything. And that is, it, you know, I didn't quote charge him anything. It's just me helping people in the sport exactly. of archery. Right. And that's what he's doing. Right. I mean, he's not, Oh, that'll be 40 bucks an hour. Right. Nonsense, <laughs> which is, you know, I'm not, we're not charging that either at the bow shop, but still like, it's just, it's just nice to be able to take that time and help those people out with any questions they could have at that particular time. Okay. So let's segue here into this conservation here, because this is something interesting. And I, I want to tie this into hunting in public and hunting in private land as well. Cause this is something, you know, you're now really launching off on your own on hunting. And now of course you're bow hunting, which is a totally different ball game yeah. <laughs> than firearms. Right. And so now you got to get deer at 20 yards instead of 200 and you got to do it all by yourself. So that is nice when you're able to continue hunting private land because you can just kind of go to spots that have habitually been there. For me, somebody like on public, I got to figure stuff out. I got to play with other people, make sure I'm not screwed around with them. Right. 
you're also though in that same boat, at least in case of, you know, you've had issues in the past of people coming across boundaries and this and other thing, and exactly. that can really ruin your hunt. But first, before we, before we dive into, into that side of thing, let's talk real briefly about the conservation, at least in your area, you are in not a super rural area. You're almost more of a suburban, right? At least right, what you're exactly. hunting, right? Unpack that for the folks at home a little bit. Because when I think of hunting urban deer, I think of like the Seek One guys over in Georgia. Yeah. Hunting like 190-inch deer. Behind a dentist in, office. Yeah. Right, in, in a dentist yeah. office backyard. So talk a little bit more about your urban hunting or suburban hunting that you're experiencing in your part of Mississippi. Well, see – I live in a neighborhood, I guess you'd call it, not necessarily a suburb. You know, we have a yard and stuff like that. It's not terribly large, but, you know, we have a, a lot, I guess. And uh, about two miles down the road, I have what I call my mentor. He's a really great family friend. And he owns, behind his house, he lives in the city. His house is in the city limits. But you go 50 yards behind that, and there's 43 acres pat on the county line therefore i can hunt that and since it's so much land it's just a block it's surrounded by you know high density areas that i mean houses and everything else just just like that it's it's not like industrialized at all it's not businesses it's simply living space but i mean that there are you know people that wander. i mean it, teenagers being teenagers they're gonna wander and explore i mean that's fine there's a 43 acre lot but it's really, this is another blessing, but the, the city has a water line running through, a water and a sewer line running through there. So they're constantly coming to monitor that. Well, they have to have roads to do that. So they have to keep it mowed down to do that. You know, <laughs> so I've got lanes already established up through there. I mean, from his house through the woods to those paths, I have, you know, paths and open little areas, you know, that I could possibly hunt a deer in. Like they had to do a repair. There, that's another three paths that were opened up and they're probably 20 foot in width, you know, at, at least, you right. know, and they're just really easy travel and that perfect place to put a climbing stand and just like, just sit over them, you know, it's, and I mean, we have cameras out, you know, and things like that. And it's a, it's a, it's a, since it's a water line, there's a branch, I guess it's like a, a drainage system. So there's water always there in the middle of the property. So that, that, that's, uh, okay. it, it really is a, a mini deer sanctuary. So is it, so it is really it a, is. is it a below ground pipe system or is it above ground? The pipe the, itself? The, the, the pipe itself is below ground, but okay. the, like, the only thing you see of it is like, I guess, sewer holes that, manholes that come, that are surrounded in concrete that sure. come to about okay. chest height. Okay. And they're so, just I mean, always leaking or whatever, or getting water out something. No, not really. Th those, those don't what do you mean like the the men themselves getting in the yeah like when they go and do maintenance and stuff like are they exhuming all this stuff or is it just they're just going in and it, like oh, no. do they change they, the landscape or are they just cut oh, no, the no, lanes no, no. okay, that, okay. They, ju they just keep the lane you know cut because i mean it's i guess their their rules and regulations say they have to but they have a okay. little station that's fenced in that they you know they have a lock on and they say you know don't you know property of the city or whatever that you can't you know, go in and, you know, we don't fiddle with it, you know, right, of, right. That, but they keep everything really opened up for the deer and everything. And it's all really easy to see. Like if I just wanted to go in there one day, you know, with a rifle at least and look down one of those lanes, there's a high chance that I could kill it, take a deer. Okay. Well, here's the question. So that I'm glad you asked, said the rifle thing. So what is the, 
um, the safety boundary? Would you know off the top of your head, like how far away from someone's house do you have to be with a gun or a bow before you're allowed to like start hunting and shooting? Okay, so those lanes, all, all of those lanes that they make, they're relatively close to the road. But if you, you know, just let's say backwards and forwards looking down the lane, there's a road, there's a main road probably where that, I mean, it leads directly off of that and it goes through that lane does not go all the way through the property. So it, it's maybe a quarter of that that they monitor and the rest of it is pure woods. And it's, it's high, it's high, I guess, hillish stuff that, sure. you know, so as long as you're firing in that direction, there's no chance of hitting anything. But if you go from those roads, you could probably go in, you know, at least, let's see, two directions, at least, you know, cardinal directions you'd end up in civilization like you know right smack right. dab in the middle of it right. so you have to be careful but i mean i mean it's relatively easy to not worry about that right I yeah mean, for, worry about it but not have to worry about it yeah because 43 acres is not small like when i grew up hunting in my area you know close to penn state university i mean we're talking like 5 10 maybe 15 acres of chunks that people own and yeah you got to worry about deer you know getting hit and running off and more right. important you got to be careful of getting close now with a bow here in pa it's 50 yards like i can be up to i can be 51 yards and be legal from someone's house to start shooting at things mm -hmm. and it's 150 for a firearm so that really drastically really? changes the game for a lot of things. If you're hunting like these five, 10 acre pieces, you know, so of course I'm glad you're thinking about the safety, right? The direction that you're yeah. shooting, uh, which lends me then I have to ask this then when it comes to, because when I, when I think of Mississippi, I think of just flat as a pancake, Delta, all that sort of <laughs> stuff. That's what I think, right? That's when I know that's not the case. Yeah. You guys have a lot of different diversity across the state, you know, in terms of, you know, you could have hill country, right. you could have the hardwoods, you could have the swamp bottoms, all sort of stuff. Um, where you're at though, like is, is ground hunting a thing or is it, you're in a climber no, tree stand? It's no, in a climber tree stand. It, it, it's, it's climb a tree, get in a tree or don't go at all. Mainly, okay. mainly simply because of the pine trees, you know, there, there's so much debris on the ground. I mean, spot stalk hunting. I did, I did kill a deer last year, you know, with a rifle spot stalk, but I mean, he was hundred yards away, you know, that's easy pickings. It's just hard. It would be hard because, and it's nothing but flat mainly. Where I would hunt, at least, it's mainly flat. In terms of like getting up on deer, it would be relatively difficult. So, is it row pine? Is it plantation pine? A lot of it. Okay. Um, I actually live in a park called the Pine Belt, so we have nothing but a bunch of straight tall. So you pines. are paying. You yeah, are in pine. So, <laughs> so yeah, it, it's just a bunch of straight tall pines. But that forty-three acres is is. Half of it, I would say, is is the pines, but another, the the other half is hardwood. But the problem, the the deer, the big deer that I'm actually you know seeking after, they're mainly on the hardwood area, and all those trees are so tightly packed, or they you know they don't grow straight, and it's so hard to find a tree, you know, yeah. just to, just to get in. But it is what it is. <laughs> so let's so let's actually then take that because I want to talk about this this type of diversity and everything into the conservation of how it's flying we talked very briefly off air i think that what pennsylvania is doing is a real good job with managing properties there's a lot of um in pennsylvania there's a lot of uh private land that's public access now that used to be old strip mines and right. fracking jobs and timber cuts and the game commission has gone in 
obviously with the land in conjunction with the landowner and has you know planted native species so we have bedding cover has gone in and replanted oh, wow. trees and they you know they do controlled burns that sort of stuff to try to help the diversity because right. otherwise you just got this nasty giant exactly. field of goldenrod and all model and it's just pointless and you say down at least in your area of mississippi they're doing good work as well in terms of trying to manage right. the deer herd and manage just the general wildlife our um I'll, I'll, I'm a state fan, so I'll use state as an example. But they, Mississippi State has done a study in our, with my, my closest national forest, which I, it runs from here to Alabama, DeSoto. I mean, it, it, I mean, it's a very large piece of land that the government you know, has deemed a conservation area. There has been a study done by Mississippi State. They do a lot of the, the conservation work, I guess you could say, getting students into conservation jobs. They did a study on the soil, and they found that in terms of supplying wildlife with nutrients, I mean, they can survive, but in terms of supplying them with nutrients to grow big or, you know, just thrive, this land is a, is a desert. I mean, it, it's, the soil itself prohibits us from really having big deer in, on public land, at least. You know, so, I mean, they're constantly trying to they're doing controlled burns and they're, you know, they're doing the waterways and all that, you know, they're trying their best. They really are. And I, Mississippi state has, um, they have a deer lab. So every year they tranquilize the deer, you know, the buck deer, you know, that of course they have a constant renewal of fawns every year. And every year they, they, they tranquilize a buck. They saw off his antlers, you know, as humanely as possible. And they, document him for the rest of his life and figure out what is growing these deer the most you know how how can we help um i can go outside in my backyard right now and pick up a salt like just get a scoop of dirt and put in a bag and send it to them and they're mm -hmm. going to tell me what kind it is what it needs you know things like that so i mean it, it it's a real push down here and um southern miss they are they have on the coast several different programs for marine life so freshwater, saltwater fish, they're constantly working to improve that. And this is something you want to get into, right? Like right. this is, you want to get into the forestry side of things. I do. Right? I do. And I would have gotten into being a game warden, but the, I mean, <laughs> not, not that money's everything, but that the, the money that they make is, is simply, you know, not great. I guess it's government benefits, but I mean. After so it, many it, years it, of service, would, that's where teachers right. are at too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I definitely agree, but, um, I'm definitely looking to get into that. And thankfully I can, I have some opportunities to get to it fairly free because I've taken some earlier vocational classes, but um, yeah, at, at least at my local on our, on our, in our state, we do, I, I believe that we, we push for it still pretty good. Now for, I'm going to talk a little bit more about your forestry thing. Cause this is interesting. I have my neighbor across the street has a forestry degree and currently works for um, one of the power companies here that runs part mm -hmm. of one of the big things in Northeast. He runs the, a lot of the bucket, he manages a lot of the bucket crews and response teams and that sort of stuff right. when it comes to clearing lanes, and rideways and that sort of thing is for you, is it, would you rather focus on the, the actual lumber themselves and how to manage that? Or are you more interested in focus on it from a strict wildlife standpoint? Mainly, mainly wildlife. I'd, yeah. I'd probably go into some division of an animal science, you know, because um, I, ha I had a teacher, he's probably the smartest 
teacher we have on campus. He teaches all the, you know, the advanced sciences. I mean, he's a, just a stellar smart dude. And he said that he worked on the dairy farm at state for, you know, for that was his way of getting through. And he just, you know, he's really helped me kind of plan it out. Of course, he can't see, you know, exactly how to work, but he's he kind of helped me do that. And he's allowed, he's told me the options or at least when he was there of what was available and how you could branch off and things like that. And I would mainly focus on the, the wildlife, but I, I, mean, I also have a, a family friend that is, a wonderful forester and he he's pretty well known and he strictly does the timber industry you know he he goes he tells them how much they need to cut and all this and that you know but he can also look at the ground and say you know this is a wasteland for deer right so you know things like that i think it was actually going to the wasteland for deer thing i think it was actually a couple of years ago uh growing deer dr grant woods cited a research done at mississippi state i think it was and because there's this whole thing like oh it's all in the genetics we got the call bucks we got to get out right. of the herd and all this crap and he's like no it's it's the food he's like i came yeah, into the ozarks i planted soybeans everywhere all of a sudden we have big deer it's not like big deer moved in and started spreading their genetics everywhere it's clearly it starts from a soil up i i have no degree in any sort of <laughs> science field i have no uh expertise but I am incredibly passionate about soil conservation. That is something right. that I get fired up about. I do it heck in my own little gardens here. You know, I've raised bed gardens back here, you know, pretty good sized ones. It sounds like I'm like a little flower box child, but <laughs> pretty big raised bed gardens. I talk about like the no-till system to people all the time that talk about when to plant food plots and this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, and I'm like, this is the way to do it. And I will love watching guys like Grant Woods and, and Jeff Sturgis, who runs White Tail uh, uh, Habitat Solutions. And all this sort of stuff, and and so I'm I'm really pumped that you're going into right. the, into the forestry right. and, thing. And I've you know of course I've helped my family plant deer plots because you know we we hunt on them we all hunt on them we kind of share them, but um we if if we plant a seed of any of anything we have to pour the fertilizer or or something like lime to it, you know and I I guess in some areas it's more basic or more acidic. You know, we have to find that good area for it. And, and we, we all, if we want a good, successful crop that's going to stay for the duration of the season, and maybe a little after, not that it matters at that point, but it may come back the next year, we have to really, we probably spend more money on that than we do the actual seed. It's what, it's what has to be done, but it, it typically, our, our deer are so pressured that they come the the ryegrass and all that that the oats the triticale that that can get them there and that they might you know stick their head down for a little while but the corn is what they come to the the corn is what you know that that it's a you know easy food source that and they're going to stick around they may stay in there an hour some may stay in there two minutes yeah you know but it's just they, they're looking for food they have to around here right right is is the acorn that's acorns are the thing here in the northeast is that acorn water chestnut is that something that just gets vacuumed up in your guys's neck of the woods acorns are a blessing if you have them the the trees the oak trees that you know of course that drop them that that you can but typically they drop too early to help with that you know they, they oh, do get I see. vacuumed up I like see. they they dropped so early you know because we have a tree two weeks ago we were trying to set up a stand 
And my uncle was like, yeah, they're dropping now. And he's like, they're going to be gone by the time season gets around. So it is what it is, but, you know, and, and we have to really push. And speaking of corn, and I don't, I don't want to really say this without addressing this, but we had a big push, at least in like the hunter education course, we spent a good while on that, that CWD, chronic waste disease, you know, if a deer gets that, they're dead. I mean, no matter what, only thing they're going to do for the rest of their life is infect others. So the corn thing was, they had to be real, they had to enforce that a good bit and they still are. So you have to kind of be careful. What are they doing that, to like change that? Like you can only have it out certain well, times. In some year. areas you can't have it at all. <laughs> yeah. We can't hear it all. Yeah. 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 Like, and, and I don't, I don't, for so long, I don't know why it wasn't considered baiting in a way. Yeah. I guess. And I, I don't know how that works, how they, differentiate that yeah but they, they've really doubled down on that and so I, are you guys are you guys allowed to bait in mississippi i don't know if it's there's a difference i know that there's a difference okay i, okay. I don't know what's considered baiting and what's considered just feeding you know being yeah a we to the yeah deer. we have that same kerfuffle here in pa you're allowed to bait kind of not really in yeah. like the cities like, and, and it's kind of like you know hand over your mouth don't right the game warden catch we, you but it, we don't be talk okay about it but it's like actually okay if they catch you it's yeah, really strange right, it's right. really strange and then of course now with the whole cwd thing you know it used to be legal i could you know in you know, february when the seasons are long done i could go dump 100 pounds of corn in my backyard right and set up a trail camera can't do that anymore Right, because right. CWD, you can't have you. So we're not allowed to use exactly. We're not allowed to use uh, natural urine for lures. Not that I really did that, um, but right. you know we can't do that sort of stuff. Uh, and of course, no feeding whatsoever in any of the CWD zones. So it's 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 interesting that they're also the Mississippi's taking a similar esque approach. Do y'all have many cases of it? Of CWD? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Ours has kind of been few and far. I don't even know if we've had a, like, as of when I took my education course, you know, two years ago, I don't even know if we even, if they were even really, they were concerned about it, but I don't even know if we had had a case. I think it was all precautionary. It was so bad kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I don't want it here. You guys had been across next to some states that had definitely had it. Right. Right. That was a big issue with the Arkansas-Missouri border there. Exactly. Arkansas, that that was one they talked about a lot you know, that, that it had, that deer had to be processed a certain way. You couldn't take it over state lines, you know, unless this and this and this had happened to it had, it had sat around for 30 days up in another state, right? that kind of thing. But I I was just curious because I I don't think it, I honestly don't think at, at that moment, at least that it was very, I think it was more precautionary rather than it's a danger now. Yeah. Well, and I would say I commend them for doing that because here in PA, we our biggest problem is that the the the, uh, the CWD has spread from the deer farms. That's where it's all come okay. from. That's yeah. where it's come from. They brought in samples of, you know, Big Bob Joe Buck out of Colorado, and then it infected a deer. And then just because that's how life works, it gets out into the nat- into the wild population. Right. Well, so see- at least in my zone, we have had zero wild cases right but in the zone that's down toward the south towards the maryland border the pennsylvania maryland border that has seen a boatload of wild contract cases i I just saw i was watching like tim wells a random him going to a deer farm kind of thing and i thought that was i mean and, and i mean this is just my ignorance but we don't i don't 
to my knowledge, we don't have any of those around it that just specifically farm whitetail. Oh, you have I mean, them. You we, just don't we, know about them. Right. Are we, okay, so we do. Oh, I See, guarantee I'll guarantee you you do. I'll guarantee you. You just don't know about them. There's, okay. one, there's one that's 20 minutes from my house. I didn't know it existed until like <laughs> a year ago. Yeah. And I've lived so, in this county for who knows how long. So how does that work? Can, I mean, the, the private owners, like, can they just hire those bucks on basically? So it's, it's a little bit weird. So like there are certain farms that are literally farming them like cows, right? Because there are certain restaurants that actually sell venison and, and venison right. meat products. So they're, they're a little bit easier to take care of in cows. You just don't get the meat return, you know, based right. on, on like a cow. The biggest thing is these high fence hunting operations. And right. again, you don't know they exist. Predominantly, the, um, I won't name the one that's close to me, but there is one that's close to me that um, it, it, uh, it moonlights as a deer hunting lodge. Its real job is it's actually like a camp, like a, like a retreat camp, like a family camp type right. thing. But they own a lot of land. And they have this deer hunting lodge when the camp is not in session, obviously, people are going out and killing 400-inch whitetails um, because that's what but they're it, doing. It, they're, it is they're, fenced in? Oh, it's completely fenced in. Oh, okay. I've actually gone. So the way it works is they go, they'll acquire a piece of property. And this is how it gets out in the wild population, at least in my opinion. They'll acquire a piece of property. Uh, they will build the fence around the border, you know, 10, 12-foot high fence. And then they will go, they'll hire, or, you know, in my case, they just asked me and a couple hundred other people. And you literally stretch yourself out in the world's biggest deer drive. You open the gate at one end of the property and you do a 50 acre, 100 acre, 150 acre deer drive. And you push huh. all of the wild deer out of the gate of the fence. You close it off. And then the um, game warden that's there says okay i was standing here at the gate and i counted 100 deer came out i think based on the average square per mile you have 20 deer still left in here you owe me money for 20 deer and they'll pay them for 20 deer and then they'll send in sharpshooters bam 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 bam, shoot what deer that's left in the fence and then they'll breed their own deer and dump them in and now you all of a sudden have a deer farm and uh so they'll they they'll breed these deer like cows up in fences and whatnot, and then they'll just take them out of that fenced area and throw them into the hunting zone. And uh, guys will pay hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they will go in a box blind and with an AR-15 and shoot a deer. And that's how that works. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, hmm, is right. <laughs> and uh, and but that's, I mean, it's a viable thing. People are willing to pay for it to shoot these. I mean, these things, you know, they have like. I mean, they have literally they 400 look like cactuses growing they, in the, on the exactly, side of the Exactly, yeah. exactly. And they're genetically bred to do that. Um, you know, but they started out as a whitetail. You know, they all started as fawns and this, that, and the other thing. But that's where it comes from. Bringing in the samples of the deer to be bred, that's where the CWD comes from. Colorado, from Nebraska, from right. Kansas, whatever. Then it gets bred there. And then from the deer excreting and salivating all sorts of stuff it gets spread around eventually it leaves the cage by some other probably wild animal that gets in and then it's in the wild population bang bang bong you're you're at square one yeah. so i'm glad to hear that mississippi has taken high precaution with that because if it stays in the captive population it's a lot less freaky the game commission doesn't freak out as much the moment it hits the wild population is when all heck breaks oh loose. i bet i bet it's when all heck breaks loose and uh, like they've talked about like removing antler restrictions, 
shoot whatever you want whenever you want. I mean, a lot really? of things that go against what we believe here in PA just to try to curb it in the wild population. So, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to hear that Mississippi's taken the, the good action to stay on top of that. Well, Kenny, thanks so much, bud, for being on the podcast today. We already talked a little bit off air. No social media for the world to follow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> stay. My wife runs my Instagram, so it's okay. I'm, I'm right on board with you. Well, I appreciate it, bud. And if you kill anything this year, you're definitely sending me a picture, right? Great. That sounds great. Okay, I'll put it on my social media. You could, <laughs> you'll stay, you'll stay anonymous for us. It may not, don't don't expect it to be huge. It may be a doe, but you know, hey, just... <laughs> doe, buck, bear, squirrel. I don't care. I just love helping people get in support of archery. And like today, I posted a thing on Instagram. A guy shot a bear up in Nova Scotia, Canada, and he's like, "I'm just so excited that like I was able to you your videos helped and this that and the other thing." And I'm like, "That's what I want." Yeah. As exactly. a teacher, like that's what I want. No, my students, quote unquote, my students. Like we're able to get better and that's what I want. So I appreciate you coming on, bud. And folks, for those of you at home, if you want to be just like Kennedy and find yourself on the Average Jack Archery podcast, again, send me an email, averagejackarchery at gmail.com. Find me on Facebook, find me on Instagram. And yes, you can always leave a comment on YouTube. Hope you're able to get outside, enjoy the sport of archery, archery hunting if you so choose. Definitely enjoy God's beautiful creation. And we'll get to see you next time.